Hello everyone, my name is Matthew McDonald and you are listening to Poetry in an Emergency, a podcast about poetry and art and the vital role they play in our lives. In his introduction to the poems and plays of Alfred Lord Tennyson, Maitland Eddy writes, The latter half of the 19th century in England saw the flowering to maturity of two of the great poetic figures of English literature, Tennyson and Browning. They were born within three years of one another, early in the century, and died within three years of one another, after living on through the pomp of imperialistic days down to the end of the Victorian era. With them died something of the greatness of English poetry, for no man since has risen to claim a seat beside either of them. While I'm not sure I agree with the last part of that last sentence, I do especially like many of Tennyson's poems, and I intend to read two of them for you today. One beautiful and rightly famous, the other less well-known, long, somewhat philosophical, certainly autobiographical, and, to me, breathtaking. The first is probably Tennyson's most famous poem. It is a poignant, lyrical poem about an anonymous woman imprisoned in a tower on the island of Shalott, in view of Camelot, the castle of myth and legend belonging to King Arthur. Perhaps there is a sense that some of us can relate to the woman's experience, stuck as many of us are in our own homes during the coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic. This is The Lady of Shalott by Alfred Lord Tennyson. On either side the river lie long fields of barley and of rye that clothe the wold and meet the sky, and through the field the road runs by to many-towered Camelot. And up and down the people go, gazing where the lilies blow, Round an island there below, the island of Shalott. Willows whiten, aspens quiver, little breezes dusk and shiver, Through the wave that runs forever by the island in the river, Flowing down to Camelot. Four grey walls and four grey towers overlook a space of flowers, And the silent isle embowers the Lady of Shalott. By the margin willow-veiled slide the heavy barges trailed by slow horses, and unhailed the shallop flitteth silken-sailed, skimming down to Camelot. But who hath seen her wave her hand, or at the casement seen her stand, or is she known in all the land, the Lady of Shalott? Only reapers reaping early in among the bearded barley hear a song that echoes cheerly from the river winding clearly down to Camelot, and by the moon the reaper weary, piling sheaves in uplands airy, listens, whispers, tis the fairy, Lady of Shalott. There she weaves by night and day a magic web with colors gay. She has heard a whisper say, a curse is on her if she stay to look down to Camelot. She knows not what the curse may be, and so she weaveth steadily, and little other care hath she, the Lady of Shalott. And moving through a mirror clear that hangs before her all the year, shadows of the world appear. There she sees the highway near, winding down to Camelot. There the river eddy whirls, and there the surly village churls, and the red cloaks of market girls pass onward from Shalott. Sometimes a troop of damsels glad, an abbot on an ambling pad, 
sometimes a curly shepherd lad, or long-haired page in crimson clad, goes by to towered Camelot. And sometimes through the mirror blue the knights come riding two and two, she hath no loyal knight and true, the Lady of Shalott. But in her web she still delights to weave the mirror's magic sights, for often through the silent nights a funeral with plumes and lights and music went to Camelot. Or when the moon was overhead came two young lovers lately wed, I am half sick of shadows, said the Lady of Shalott. A bow shot from her bower eaves, he rode between the barley sheaves, the sun came dazzling through the leaves, and flamed upon the barren greaves of bold Sir Lancelot. A red cross knight forever kneeled to a lady in his shield that sparkled on the yellow field beside remote Shalott. The gemmy bridle glittered free like to some branch of stars we see hung in the golden galaxy. The bridle bells rang merrily as he rode down to Camelot. And from his blazoned baldric slung a mighty silver bugle hung, and as he rode his armor rung beside remote Shalott. All in the blue unclouded weather thick jeweled shone the saddle leather, the helmet and the helmet feather burned like one burning flame together as he rode down to Camelot. As often through the purple night Below the starry clusters bright, some bearded meteor trailing light moves over still Shalott. His broad clear brow in sunlight glowed, on burnished hooves his war-horse trode, from underneath his helmet flowed his coal-black curls as on he rode, as he rode down to Camelot. From the bank and from the river he flashed into the crystal mirror, Tira Lyra by the river, sang Sir Lancelot. She left the web, she left the loom, she made three paces through the room. She saw the water lily bloom, she saw the helmet and the plume. She looked down to Camelot. Out flew the web and floated wide, the mirror cracked from side to side. The curse is come upon me, cried the Lady of Shalott. In the stormy east wind straining, the pale yellow woods were waning, the broad stream in his banks complaining, heavily the low sky raining over towered Camelot. Down she came and found a boat, beneath a willow left afloat, and round about the prow she wrote, the Lady of Shalott. And down the river's dim expanse, like some bold seer in a trance, Seen all his own mischance, with a glassy countenance, did she look to Camelot. And at the closing of the day, she loosed the chain, and down she lay. The broad stream bore her far away, the Lady of Shalott. Lying robed in snowy white, that loosely flew to left and right, the leaves upon her falling light, through the noises of the night, she floated down to Camelot. And as the boathead wound along the willowy hills and fields among, they heard her singing her last song, the Lady of Shalott. Heard a carol, mournful, holy, chanted loudly, chanted lowly, 
till her blood was frozen slowly, and her eyes were darkened wholly, turned to towered Camelot. For ere she reached upon the tide, the first house by the waterside, singing in her song, she died, the Lady of Shalott. Under tower and balcony, by garden wall and gallery, a gleaming shape she floated by, dead pale between the houses high, silent into Camelot. Out upon the wharfs they came, knights and burgher, lord and dame, and round the prow they read her name, the Lady of Shalott. Who is this, and where is here? And in the lighted palace near died the sound of royal cheer, and they crossed themselves for fear, all the knights at Camelot. But Lancelot mused a little space. He said, She has a lovely face. God in his mercy lend her grace, the Lady of Shalott. I always enjoy reading and hearing the poem, The Lady of Shalott. I find it beautiful, poignant, sad, and incredibly lyrical. I hope you enjoyed it. The next poem I want to read for you is called The Two Voices. It is a fairly long poem. In fact, when it was first published, some critics complained that it was overly long. Personally, I find the length makes the poem all the more breathtaking, especially when you consider how personal it was to Tennyson himself. In 1833, Arthur Hallam, a good friend of Tennyson's from Cambridge University, died. Tennyson was overwhelmed, and as a result of Hallam's death, plunged into a deep depression that lasted nearly a decade. During this time, Tennyson seriously contemplated suicide, and The Two Voices is one of the first poems he wrote as he emerged from this period of depression. In this poem, he effectively deliberates about whether or not to kill himself. He is very direct about this, and fortunately he comes to the conclusion that he should not kill himself, despite his misery. What I find especially breathtaking about this poem is the manner in which he comes to this conclusion, not through reason or rationality or philosophical or intellectual argumentation, but through art, through feeling, and yes, through a measure of reason, but in an unexpected way. This is The Two Voices by Alfred Lord Tennyson. A still small voice spake unto me, Thou art so full of misery, were it not better not to be? Then to the still small voice I said, Let me not cast in endless shade what is so wonderfully made. To which the voice did urge reply, Today I saw the dragonfly come from the wells where he did lie. An inner impulse rent the veil of his old husk. From head to tail came out clear plates of sapphire mail. He dried his wings like gauze they grew, through crofts and pastures wet with dew. A living flash of light he flew. I said, When first the world began, young nature through five cycles ran, and in the sixth she molded man. She gave him mind, the lordliest proportion, and above the rest, dominion in the head and breast. Thereto the silent voice replied, 
Self-blinded are you by your pride. Look up through night. The world is wide. This truth within thy mind rehearse, that in a boundless universe is boundless better, boundless worse. Think you this mold of hopes and fears could find no statelier than his peers in yonder hundred million spheres? It spake moreover in my mind, though thou wert scattered to the wind, yet is there plenty of the kind. Then did my response clearer fall, no compound of this earthly ball is like another all in all. To which he answered scoffingly, Good soul, suppose I grant it thee, who'll weep for thy deficiency? Or will one beam be less intense when thy peculiar difference is cancelled in the world of sense? I would have said, Thou canst not know, but my full heart that worked below reigned through my sight its overflow. Again the voice spake unto me, Thou art so steeped in misery, Surely twere better not to be. Thine anguish will not let thee sleep, Nor any train of reason keep. Thou canst not think, but thou wilt weep. I said, The years with change advance. If I make dark my countenance, I shut my life from happier chance. Some turn this sickness yet might take, Even yet. But he... What drug can make a withered palsy cease to shake? I wept. Though I should die, I know that all about the thorn will blow in tufts of rosy-tinted snow. And men, through novel spheres of thought, still moving after truth long sought, will learn new things when I am not. Yet, said the secret voice, sometime sooner or later will grey prime make thy grass hoar with early rhyme, not less swift souls that yearn for light, Wrapped after heaven's starry flight, Would sweep the tracts of day and night. Not less the bee would range her cells, The furzy prickle fire the dells, The foxglove cluster dappled bells. I said that all the years invent, Each month is various to present The world with some development. Were this not well to bide mine hour, Though watching from a ruined tower, How grows the day of human power? The highest mounted mind, he said, Still sees the sacred morning spread The silent summit overhead. Will thirty seasons render plain Those lonely lights that still remain, Just breaking over land and main? Or make that morn from his cold crown And crystal silence creeping down Flood with full daylight, glebe, and town? Forerun thy peers, thy time, And let thy feet millenniums hence Be set in midst of knowledge dreamed not yet. Thou hast not gained a real height, Nor art thou nearer to the light, Because the scale is infinite. Twere better not to breathe or speak Than cry for strength remaining weak, and seem to find, but still to seek. Moreover, but to seem to find, asks what thou lackest, thought resigned, a healthy frame, a quiet mind. I said, when I am gone away, he dared not tarry, men will say, doing dishonor to my clay. This is more vile, he made reply, to breathe and loathe, to live and sigh, than once from dread of pain to die. Sick art thou, a divided will, Still heaping on the fear of ill, The fear of men, a coward still. 
Do men love thee? Art thou so bound to men that how thy name may sound will vex thee lying underground? The memory of the withered leaf in endless time is scarce more brief than of the garnered autumn sheaf. Go, vexed spirit, sleep in trust. The right ear that is filled with dust hears little of the false or just. Hard task to pluck resolve, I cried, from emptiness and the waste wide of that abyss or scornful pride. Nay, rather yet that I could raise one hope that warmed me in the days, while still I yearned for human praise. When wide in soul and bold of tongue, among the tents I paused and sung, the distant battle flashed and rung. I sung the joyful paean clear, and sitting burnished without fear, the brand, the buckler, and the spear, waiting to strive a happy strife, to war with falsehood to the knife and not to lose the good of life, some hidden principle to move, to put together, part and prove, and meet the bounds of hate and love, as far as might be, to carve out free space for every human doubt, that the whole mind might orb about, to search through all I felt or saw, the springs of life, the depths of awe, and reach the law within the law, at least not rotting like a weed, but having sown some generous seed, fruitful of further thought and deed, to pass when life her light withdraws, not void of righteous self-applause, nor in a merely selfish cause, in some good cause not in my own, to perish, wept for, honored, known, and like a warrior overthrown." whose eyes are dim with glorious tears when soiled with noble dust he hears his country's war-song thrill his ears. Then dying of a mortal stroke, what time the foeman's line is broke and all the war is rolled in smoke. Yes, said the voice, thy dream was good. While thou abodest in the bud, it was the stirring of the blood. If nature put not forth her power about the opening of the flower, who is it that could live an hour? Then comes the check, the change, the fall. Pain rises up, old pleasures pall. There is one remedy for all. Yet hadst thou, through enduring pain, linked month to month with such a chain of knitted purport, all were vain. Thou hadst not between death and birth dissolved the riddle of the earth, so were thy labor little worth. That men with knowledge merely played, I told thee, hardly nigher made, though scaling slow from grade to grade. Much less this dreamer, deaf and blind, named man, may hope some truth to find that bears relation to the mind. For every worm beneath the moon draws different threads and late and soon spins, toiling out his own cocoon. Cry, faint not, Either truth is born beyond the polar gleam forlorn, or in the gateways of the morn. Cry, faint not, climb, the summit's slope beyond the furthest flights of hope, wrapped in dense cloud from base to cope. Sometimes a little corner shines, as over rainy mist inclines, a gleaming crag with belts of pines. I will go forward, sayest thou, I shall not fail to find her now. Look up, the fold is on her brow. If straight thy track, or if oblique, thou knowest not, shadows thou dost strike, embracing cloud, Ixion-like. And owning but a little more than beasts, abidest lame and poor, calling thyself a little lower than angels. 
Cease to wail and brawl. Why inch by inch to darkness crawl? There is one remedy for all. O dull one-sided voice, said I, Wilt thou make everything a lie To flatter me that I may die? I know that age to age succeeds, Blowing a noise of tongues and deeds, A dust of systems and of creeds. I cannot hide that some have striven, Achieving calm, to whom was given The joy that mixes man with heaven. Who, rowing hard against the stream, Saw distant gates of Eden gleam, And did not dream it was a dream. But heard by secret transport led, Even in the charnels of the dead, The murmur of the fountain head which did accomplish their desire, bore and forbore and did not tire, like Stephen, an unquenched fire. He heeded not reviling tones, nor sold his heart to idle moans, though cursed and scorned and bruised with stones. But looking upward full of grace, he prayed, and from a happy place, God's glory smote him on the face. The sullen answer slid betwixt. Not that the grounds of hope were fixed, the elements were kindlier mixed. I said, I toil beneath the curse, but knowing not the universe, I fear to slide from bad to worse, and that in seeking to undo one riddle, and to find the true, I knit a hundred others new, or that this anguish fleeting hence, unmatched from bonds of sense, be fixed and frozen to permanence. For I go, weak from suffering here, naked I go, and void of cheer, what is it that I may not fear? Consider well, the voice replied, His face that two hours since hath died. Wilt thou find passion, pain, or pride? Will he obey when one commands, Or answer should one press his hands? He answers not, nor understands. His palms are folded on his breast, There is no other thing expressed, But long disquiet merged in rest. His lips are very mild and meek, Though one should smite him on the cheek, And on the mouth, he will not speak. His little daughter, whose sweet face he kissed, Taking his last embrace, Becomes dishonored to her race. His sons grow up that bear his name, Some grow to honor, some to shame, But he is chill to praise or blame. He will not hear the north wind rave, Nor moaning household shelter crave From winter rains that beat his grave. High up the vapors fold and swim, About him broods the twilight dim, The place he knew forgetteth him. If all be dark, vague voice I said, These things are wrapped in doubt and dread, Nor canst thou show the dead are dead. The sap dries up, the plant declines, A deeper tale my heart divines. Know I not death, the outward signs? I found him when my years were few, A shadow on the graves I knew, and darkness in the village you. From grave to grave the shadow crept, In her still place the morning wept, Touched by his feet the daisy slept. The simple census crowned his head, Omega, thou art Lord, they said, We find no motion in the dead. Why, if man wrought in dreamless ease, Should that plain fact, as taught by these, Not make him sure that he shall cease? Who forged that other influence? that heat of inward evidence by which he doubts against the sense. He owns the fatal gift of eyes that read his spirit blindly wise, not simple as a thing that dies. Here sits he shaping wings to fly, his heart forebodes a mystery, he names the name eternity. 
That type of perfect in his mind in nature can he nowhere find. He sows himself on every wind. He seems to hear a heavenly friend, and through thick veils to apprehend a labor working to an end. The end and the beginning vex his reason, many things perplex, with motions, checks, and counter-checks. He knows a baseness in his blood at such strange war with something good, he may not do the thing he would. Heaven opens inward, chasms yawn, vast images in glimmering dawn, half shown, are broken and withdrawn. Ah, sure within him and without, could his dark wisdom find it out, there must be answer to his doubt. But thou canst answer not again, with thine own weapon art thou slain, or thou wilt answer but in vain. The doubt would rest, I dare not solve, in the same circle we revolve, assurance only breeds resolve. As when a billow, blown against, falls back, the voice with which I fenced a little ceased, but recommenced. Where wert thou, when thy father played in his free field, and pastime made, a merry boy in sun and shade? A merry boy they called him then, he sat upon the knees of men, in days that never come again, before the little ducts began to feed thy bones with lime, and ran their course, till thou wert also man, who took a wife, who reared his race, whose wrinkles gathered on his face, whose troubles number with his days, a life of nothings, nothing worth. From that first nothing ere his birth, to that last nothing under earth. These words, I said, are like the rest, no certain clearness, but at best a vague suspicion of the breast. But if I grant thou mightest defend, the thesis which thy words intend, that to begin implies to end. Yet how should I for certain hold, because my memory is so cold, that I first was in human mold? I cannot make this matter plain, but I would shoot, howe'er in vain, a random arrow from the brain. It may be that no life is found which only to one engine bound falls off, but cycles always round. As old mythologies relate, some draught of leth might await, the slipping through from state to state. As here we find in trances, men forget the dream that happens then, until they fall in trance again. So might we, if our state were such as one before, remember much, for those two likes might meet and touch. But if I lapsed from nobler place, some legend of a fallen race alone might hint of my disgrace. Some vague emotion of delight in gazing up an alpine height, some yearning toward the lamps of night. Or if through lower lives I came, though all experience past became, consolidate in mind and frame. I might forget my weaker lot, for is not our first year forgot? The haunts of memory echo not. And men, whose reason long was blind, from cells of madness unconfined, oft lose whole years of darker mind. Much more, if first I floated free as naked essence, must I be incompetent of memory? For memory dealing but with time, and he with matter, could she climb beyond her own material prime? Moreover, something is or seems that touches me with mystic gleams, like glimpses of forgotten dreams, of something felt, 
like something here, of something done, I know not where, such as no language may declare. The still voice laughed. I talk, said he, not with thy dreams, suffice it thee thy pain as a reality. But thou, said I, hast missed thy mark. Who soughtest to wreck my mortal ark by making all the horizon dark? Why not set forth, if I should do this rashness, that which might ensue with this old soul in organs new? Whatever crazy sorrow saith, no life that breathes with human breath has ever truly longed for death. Tis life whereof our nerves are scant, O life, not death, for which we pant. More life and fuller, that I want. I ceased, and sat as one forlorn. Then said the voice in quiet scorn, Behold, it is the Sabbath morn. And I arose, and I released the casement, and the light increased with freshness in the dawning east. Like softened airs that blowing steel, when mirrors begin to uncongeal, the sweet church bells began to peal. On to God's house the people pressed, passing the place where each must rest, each entered like a welcome guest. One walked between his wife and child, with measured footfalls firm and mild, and now and then he gravely smiled. The prudent partner of his brood leaned on him, faithful, gentle, good, wearing the rose of womanhood. And in their double love secure, the little maiden walked demure, pacing with downward eyelids pure. These three made unity so sweet, my frozen heart began to beat, remembering its ancient heat. I blessed them, and they wandered on. I spoke, but answer came there none. The dull and bitter voice was gone. A second voice was at mine ear, a little whisper silver clear, a murmur. Be of good cheer. As from some blissful neighborhood, a notice faintly understood, I see the end and know the good. A little hint to solace woe, a hint, a whisper breathing low, I may not speak of what I know. Like an Aeolian harp that wakes no certain air, but overtakes far thought with music that it makes, such seemed the whisper at my side. What is it thou knowest, sweet voice, I cried? A hidden hope, the voice replied. So heavenly toned that in that hour from out my sullen heart a power broke, like the rainbow from the shower. To feel, although no tongue can prove, that every cloud that spreads above and veileth love, itself is love, and forth into the fields I went, and nature's living motion lent the pulse of hope to discontent. I wondered at the bounteous hours, the slow result of winter showers, you scarce could see the grass for flowers. I wondered while I paced along, the woods were filled so full with song, there seemed no room for sense of wrong. And all so variously wrought, I marveled how the mind was brought to anchor by one gloomy thought. And wherefore rather I made choice to commune with that barren voice than him that said, Rejoice, rejoice. That was The Two Voices by Alfred Lord Tennyson. When I first read that poem, I found it breathtaking. And I hope you found it beautiful, too. Thank you for listening.